بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين حمدا كثيرا طيبا مباركا فيه والصلاة والسلام على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه والتابعين لهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين صلى الله سبحانه وتعالى أن يعلمنا ما ينفعنا وينفعنا بما علمنا ويزدنا علما ويصلح لنا شأننا كله ولا يكلنا إلى أنفسنا طرفة عين اللهم حبب إلينا الإيمان وزينه في قلوبنا وكره إلينا الكفر والفسوق والعصيان وبعد begin by praising Allah جل وعلا the Almighty, the Exalted, Subhanahu wa Taala, the one deserving of worship alone, the one deserving of praise and thanks and gratitude alone, Azza wa Jalla, the one who has taken us from the darknesses of misguidance and immorality, and shown us the beautiful ways and methods of attaining His pleasure, has shown us the way of life, has shown us Subhanahu wa Taala how we must go about our lives and what the main goal is. All praise due to him subhanahu wa ta'ala who sent to us the best of legislation, who sent to us the best of speech. All praise due to him subhanahu wa ta'ala who sent to us the best of teachers and mentors, salawatullahi wa salamu For indeed he's the one deserving of praise alone and no matter how much we praise and thank him subhanahu wa ta'ala, one will not be able to thank him. Thank him Azza wa Jalla and do right. It's reported that in one of the hadith that on the day the horn will be blown. On the day the horn will be blown and this is the horn that indicates, the trumpet that indicates the resurrection. People will be resurrected. All of creation will be resurrected. During that period of time everything that was created will have passed away. So that horn will be blown and everyone will be resurrected. And from the ones who will be resurrected and brought back to life are the angels. The angels will be brought back to life. And as we know, the angels have many duties. There are many of them and each of them have many duties. From some of the duties of these angels, subhanAllah, all of them obey Allah and they never disobey Allah. Allah says about them in the Quran, لَا يَعْصُونَ اللَّهَ مَا أَمَرَهُمْ Allah says about the angels, they do not disobey Allah in what He has made obligatory upon them. So from some of the angels that Allah has created, their sole duty was to be in a state of prostration from the moment they were created up until the moment their lives were taken. So they're in prostration. Some of these angels are in prostration. And what do you do in prostration? You supplicate. What do you do in prostration? You praise Allah. You call upon Him by His names. You glorify Him subhanahu wa ta'ala. So imagine there's a creation and they're already from the greatest of creation. And from their duties is that they're in prostration their whole lives. And then they'll be resurrected. And when they are resurrected, these angels, the first thing that they will say is, Ya Allah. Because on that day, that's when you see the true power of Allah. Of course, everything we see right now shows us the greatness of Allah and what He's capable of, subhanahu wa ta'ala. But on that day is when you will truly see. Because that's the day 
that moment where no one is alive and is only Allah. Right? Only thing that will remain on this earth before the day of judgment is Allah Azza wa Jalla. So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will call out and he'll say, Liman il mulkul yawm. So like, who, who, who has ownership today? Who's the one that has true sovereignty today? No one will be there to answer. Oh, the greatest of kings and authorities that walked the earth and maybe possessed countries, nations. They have nothing to their name. They were not able to stop themselves from passing away. So Allah said, Liman il mulkul yawm. Two sovereignty and powers for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So back to these angels that are resurrected. And what was their duty? The angels that we're talking about now. What were they known to be doing? In prostration and sujood. Supplicating and calling upon Allah. The first thing they will say when they're resurrected, they will say, Ya Allah, ma'abadnaka haqa ibadatik. They say, Oh Allah, we did not worship you in a way you are deserving of. This is what they will say. SubhanAllah. And their only duty was one, to worship Allah. And from the moment their souls were blown into, until the moment that they left, they were in a state of consistent ibadah, consistent worship. And they will say, Ya Allah, we did not worship you in a way you are deserving to be worshipped. Why specifically that day? That's when you see the power of Allah. That's when you see how hopeless and how people have no type of power and ability. Those who you thought had ability and power in this dunya, who had some sort of capabilities, it will be, be stripped from them on that day. Nothing. Everyone is seeking assistance from somebody. So these angels, will, these, these, they will utter these words. So how about us? How about us? We will never be able to worship Allah in a manner that He's deserving of. We will never be able to thank Him in a way that He's deserving of, subhanahu wa ta'ala. No matter how much we think we do it. And this, is the, and this is the true reason why we will never enter Jannah based on our actions solely. Maybe some people never understood this before, but this is why we will never enter Jannah with our actions. This is why the Prophet says, you will not enter Jannah by your actions. One enters Jannah, why? How? How are you going to into Jannah? Allah's mercy. Allah's mercy subhanahu wa ta'ala. So do you guys see the tie now? Because no matter what, if Jannah had a price to it, and knowing the creator of Jannah is Allah Azza wa Jalla, and, youth, and, and the way to get to Jannah was through our worship, meaning the, the way we go ahead and make Jannah our abode is through our worship, we would never be able to. We would never be able to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a way we were deserving of Jannah. Ever. This is one, how exalted Allah is. Two, how much fadl, how much virtue and bounty He has upon us and He's bestowed upon us, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? So when we begin by praising Allah, which is very important to understand and to recognize these things and acknowledge them. You know, these things that show us the greatness of Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, is what improves our relationship with Him. End of the day. When you see these little glimpses of things that we mention here and there, that may seem insignificant for the time being, but I can, these little things is what allows us to just see a glimpse of who Allah is. And when you start to recognize Him subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is when the heart starts to move towards Him. 
We ask Allah to cleanse our souls. Um, inshallah Ta'ala, we had one of our asatidah, one of our teachers today, that was supposed to come and, uh, and bless us with his attendance, bless us with his, his presence, alhamdulillah, bless us with his knowledge. Uh, he, his grandmother is very sick. His grandmother is very sick. It is Ustad Hamza for those who know him. So we ask Allah to cure his grandmother. And we ask Allah to you know, bestow his family with patience. And to give him the reward of giving this class as he intended to come. So you guys are stuck with me. I wanted to mention one thing. And one may think it's repetitive. But there's a reason why. The reason doesn't need to be mentioned is between me and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But it's very important that the people know, and this is mentioned and reiterated, inshallah ta'ala. The, the people that are in front of you, first and foremost myself, there is no virtue to him. He's not a person of knowledge, one in front of not a person of knowledge, not someone who is deserving of a title, Ustad, Imam, Shaykh, none of this. Not at all. And you realize the people who, des who deserve this title when you sit with them. When you sit with the people who have dedicated their lives to studying. Before that, uh, live the life of piety. It's not just about knowledge. A scholar is the one who you see it in his actions. You see it in their actions. You see it in their mannerisms. That's, that's the, the point of the knowledge that is sought. So when you sit with these people, you see who really is befitting to be called sheikh. Ustad, Imam, Alama, these, these names. So when I say the person in front of me is not deserving this, Wallahi, it's not out of humbleness. Wallahi, what is between myself, and I'm pretty sure Akhuna Umar will say the same about himself. What is between myself and my Lord? And as one of the Salaf said, Abdullah ibn Mubarak, one of the great Tabi'in, he said, if, if, two, if two one sins was an odor, if one sins carried an odor, none of you would be around me. Right? This is the truth. So the one in front of you is merely relaying content of the scholars, content of the ulama, content of the people who deserve these titles. And who is in front of you is a servant who is in need of his Lord. And a servant who is in need of his Lord to pardon him. To pardon him and forgive him. And like I said, it's not out of humbleness. This is karima to haq. This is a statement of truth and integrity. Why do I mention this? Because when these names start being thrown around very lightly, and you know the magnitude of these names, right? And this is a lesson. I'm not over here just pouring out to you guys. This is a lesson for all of us. This is a lesson for all of us. Now, when you know the magnitude of these names, and the people who are supposed to hold these positions, like the one that is in front of you today, you feel ashamed when someone classifies you under it. You feel ashamed. Ashamed. Right? And the person in front of you has many shortcomings. Many shortcomings. And we, I'm in need of my own dua to Allah. And I ask you guys to make dua for myself as well. And for Akhuna Umar. That Allah pardons all of us together. And elevates our ranks. And make us from those who are accepted in his eyes. It's very easy to be accepted by the people. Wallahi. It's very easy to be accepted by the people. But barely the one who seeks the pleasure of the people... And you put to that cost the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you sacrifice the pleasure of Allah for the pleasure of the people, you will be humiliated the day you return back to Allah. And all that matters 
is that Allah accepts you into his ibad, into the servants that he's promised Jannah. That's all that matters. Allah knows who is truly pious, who truly is righteous. That, that acknowledgement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that awareness that he has of you, that you are accepted with him and you are someone who is pious in his eyes, even if no one else accepts you. That's the only thing that has value to it. And that has magnitude on the day where the scales will be brought forth and the deeds will be weighed. It all goes back to what's inside. Now, so I'm saying this why to free myself from any claims or titles. Now, because earlier today there was something that went on here in the masjid. Titles were being thrown. So to free myself from these titles and these names. One may think this maybe why is this brother even mentioning this? He's, I think he's doing a little too much. Inshallah, when brothers are in this position or they are doing something of the likes, inshallah you understand. Inshallah, you understand. Barakallah. ta'ala, the whole month we'll be focusing on all the events that'll be going on the weekend. We'll be focusing on the preparation for Shah Ramadan. Al Isti'adu. Preparation for the month of Ramadan So all of the events that will be happening Over the next couple of weeks Like for example the conference that's going on next week From Friday through Sunday And the conference that's going on the last weekend of the month at Iqra From Thursday through Sunday These are all catered towards Preparing for Ramadan And as we know days ago We entered, or yesterday We entered the month of What? Sha'ban The month of Sha'ban and this is from one of the greatest months that one can, alhamdulillah, be able to witness. Witnessing the month of Sha'ban is a ni'mah. And it's a month that the Prophet mentioned, he said the people are in a state of heedlessness and negligence between Rajab and Ramadan. What's between Rajab and Ramadan? Sha'ban. Rajab, people are hastening towards worship because Rajab is one of the what months? It's one of the sacred months. There's four sacred months. Ash'ul Hurum. And from them is Rajab. So people are striving towards Ibadah and Rajab. And then there's a gap between Rajab and Ramadan. So people want to try and relax, calm down, uh, you know, and the likes. And then Ramadan, they start to what? Pick up the pace, go back to their Ibadah. So the Prophet mentioned that the people are negligent and heedless during this time of Sha'ban. What is he trying to teach us when he tells us this? To not be from these people And what, from what shows us The magnificence and the magnitude of this month Is how the Prophet ﷺ approached Sha'ban It was reported by Aisha anha, Al-Bukhari wa Muslim That she said that the Prophet ﷺ Did not fast a month Like he fasted the month of Sha'ban Other than Ramadan of course He did not fast a month Just like he did for the month of Sha'ban she continues and she says that he fasted all of Sha'ban in one way. In another way, he fasted all of Sha'ban illa qaleel. He fasted all of Sha'ban except for a handful amount of days. So this was هذا شأن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم. This is how he was during this month of Sha'ban. Preparing for Ramadan. Preparing for Ramadan. And what we are planning to do today, inshallah ta'ala, the maqam the, the meaning for this gathering is not to go over the ahkam and the rulings pertaining to Ramadan 
before we talk about that, we want to talk about how to rejuvenate the hearts and to acquaint ourselves with the month. To acquaint ourselves with Ramadan. When the Prophet is mentioning, or before we get to this, the, the state of the people after the Prophet the companions and those who follow the companions, when Ramadan would exit, when they would exit Ramadan, they were in a state of continuous supplication for six months. So Ramadan end, exited, Ramadan ended, and they will be supplicating for six months. What is this? What does this supplication hold? They are asking Allah to accept for them the past Ramadan. So six months, they're asking Allah to just merely accept Ramadan that just passed. How many of us forget Ramadan once it leaves? We are negligent of Ramadan when it leaves. Ramadan's gone, and رُبَّمَا حَتَّى نَعُودُ عَلَى الْغَفْلَةِ عَلَيْهَا Perhaps even some of us return back to the heedlessness and the shortcomings and the bad lifestyle that we were on before Ramadan. This is how we are. But these people who had hearts that were acquainted with Allah Azza wa Jalla, they were continuously, they would finish Ramadan and they were from the best of people in Ramadan. Wallahi, there's a book that talks about it talks about these people and their relationship with Ramadan. When you read how these people approach Ramadan, you will, you will truly feel ashamed of yourself. You'll even ask yourself, how do these people have this kind of time in the first place? Really? This is how they were with Ramadan. But this only for one reason. They, one, knew the virtue of the month. Two, they knew the virtue of the one who legislated the month. This is why the hearts were attached to it. Six months. After Ramadan, supplicating, oh Allah, accept Ramadan. Because if Ramadan is accepted, how heavy is your scale? We just forget. Some of us have maybe witnessed 20 Ramadan, 15, 10, 11, whatever it may be. If one Ramadan is accepted, how virtuous is that? Within that month, you stood a night, you fasted a night, you gave charity on a night, you worshiped Allah on a night, you read Quran on a night, that is greater than a thousand months worth of worship. That is greater than 83 years worth of worship. Many of us don't even make 83 years. Many of us won't even have 83 years worth, 83 years worth of deeds to be held accountable for on that day. So if your Ramadan is accepted one, you have a heavy scale weight in that. Now imagine tens, 20 of Ramadan. It would be impossible, almost impossible to come on that day with bad deeds that outweigh good deeds. Right? So this is why these people were begging for Ramadan to be accepted. And they didn't stop there. The first six months after Ramadan, they're asking Allah to accept. The next six months, entering, approaching Ramadan, six months before the next Ramadan would approach, they're asking Allah to allow them to reach Ramadan. Allahumma billighna Ramadan. Oh Allah, allow us to reach Ramadan. Say Ameen. Oh Allah, allow us to reach Ramadan. Why? Same reason as before. They knew how great of a virtue Ramadan was. And we'll go over some of them bi'idhnillahi ta'ala. Ramadan is from the, the legis, from, from one of the five pillars of Islam. And this specific pillar really shows you the mercy of Allah. It really shows you the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it can be summed up in this hadith. We'll go over some hadith. First, we're going to go over some of the virtues of it. There are many. We'll go over a couple. So that the hearts are motivated to learn more about how I should prepare. Then we'll go over how to prepare. And then you'll be ready for the next couple of weeks 
where the topics will be talking about what is Ramadan, what are the rulings of Ramadan, how do I fast, how do I pray, what should I do, what's right, what's wrong, etc. So what are some of the verses of Ramadan? Ruya al Nabi sallallahu is narrated by the Prophet that he says to the companions, Atakum Shahr Ramadan. Atakum Shahr Ramadan, Shahrun Mubarak. Approaching you is the month of Ramadan, a blessed month. تُفْتَحُ فِيهِ أَبْوَابُ الْجَنَّةِ وَتُغْلَقُ فِيهِ أَبْوَابُ النَّارِ وَفِيهِ لَيْلَةٌ وَفِيهِ لَيْلَةٌ خَيْرٌ مِنْ أَلْفِ شَهْرٍ مَنْ حُرِمَهَا فَقَدْ حُرِمَ كما جاء أو كما قال صلى الله عليه وسلم In this month that is blessed, the gates of Jannah are open and the gates of the fire are closed in another riwayah, the shayateen and the evil influencers are chained up on that uh, during that month. And within that month is a night that is greater than a thousand months worth of deeds. Whomever is prevented from this good that is found in this month, then he is the one who is prevented from all good. As one of the scholars mentioned, if you were not from those who Allah has given tawfiq, to worship Him in this month, and to incline towards him in this month, then tawfiq in its totality has been lifted from you. Because the things that Allah has done in this month spe- specifically to make it easier for the servants is wallah, wallah, you cannot put a price to it. It is immense, it is great. Allah has made it so easy. He's already made it easy. Allah has already made it easy for us, with or without Ramadan. But he, look how much easier he makes it, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Jannah is open, meaning his mercy is, is multiplied more than it is. The gates of the fire is closed, and the evil influences from the shayateen and the jinn and the demons are locked up. And this is why we say, you see people naturally, even those who are in a consistent state of sin, and many of us can relate to this perhaps, or know people who can. That when Ramadan, he could be 11 months straight sinning. 11 months straight living a lifestyle you know you should not be living. But there's, for that Muslim, there's a natural inclination towards refraining just a bit when Ramadan comes around. Well, like to be from the worst of people. And when Ramadan comes, he, somehow, he or she somehow starts praying. Even if it's just in that month. But they'll, they'll pray. They'll fast. They'll put down the intoxicants. They'll put down the opposite gender. Even if they know they will return afterwards. And whether this is right or wrong is another topic. But what is this? To, what, are, what are we highlighting? How much the mercy of Allah Azza wa is emphasizing this month. And due to, it's to the extent that people naturally inclined to do it, naturally inclined to doing better in this month. Does that make sense? So these are from the things that show us the greatness of Ramadan. Tayyip. In another riwayah, it is mentioned that the shayateen are locked. What does it mean that the shayateen are locked? What, is, what do we benefit from this? That the things that would usually whisper in our ears to bring us towards sin and coming short with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, those things that would influence you, they're locked up. They're locked up. And this is why you see people are naturally in a better state of worship and ibadah and consciousness during Ramadan. No matter how much, how bad you were beforehand. As it comes in the hadith, فَيُنَادِي مُنَادٍ 
ويقول يا باغي الخيل أقبل ويا باغي الشمل أقصر A call will call out when Ramadan enters when the, the moon is sighted for, the, for Ramadan to begin and this is what shows us that Ramadan has entered and the crescent is shown A call will call from the heavens and will say Oh, wanter of good Oh, person who is striving towards good A, the person who has cleansed his heart and geared his heart towards beginning to worship Allah in the way he has never worshipped him in this month O caller of good come forward O caller of good this is your time O caller of good the one who desires good come forth now this is your month to prosper and O caller of evil the one who did not cleanse his heart the one who is still craving the evil the one who still plans on committing sin and coming short in this month, O caller of evil, refrain. Refrain from it. Wake up a little bit. In other words, wake up. So this is from the Fadail of Ramadan. From the Fadail of Ramadan, from the virtues of Ramadan, it says, as a, uh, towards the end of the hadith, Allah, the Prophet says, وَلِلَّهِ فِي كُلِّ He's from the great virtues of Ramadan. And every night of Ramadan, there's a designated amount of people whom Allah saves from the fire. What does it mean Allah saves from the fire? Allah has put their names on a list that says that this person's name is prohibited to enter the fire. He's not allowed to enter the fire. Every night. And this is what made perhaps you guys hear in the dua, Allahumma ja'alna min u'taqa'i shahi Ramadan. Oh Allah, make us from those who have been written, from those who have been saved from the fire in this month because every night Allah chooses people to be saved from the fire this is from the virtues of this month from the virtues of this month is that it is from the greatest means for your sins to be forgiven you just entering the month you're being forgiven what is between the first one Ramadan and the next Ramadan Anything that occurred within those 11 months, it is what expiation. So you witnessing one Ramadan and abiding by your, your, your obligatory acts of worship and making the next Ramadan with the same intention, what has happened in between them is a kafara. It's been expiated. Allah's forgiven from the minor sins. That's you just making Ramadan. We're not even talking about the one who indulges in Ramadan. قَالَ النَّبِي صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ مَنْ صَامَ رَمَضَانِ Whomever for number one, whomever fasts Ramadan with true iman in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, seeking the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah Azza wa has forgiven his sins. Fasting. Number two, Man Qama Ramadan, Iman and Whomever stands in the night prayer in Ramadan. And some scholars say whoever just prays any prayer and catches any salah in Ramadan. His sins are forgiven. His previous sins are forgiven. Prayer. Fasting, your sins are forgiven. Prayer, your sins are forgiven. Number three, من قام ليلة القدر إيمانا واحتسابا غفر الله ما تقدم من ذنبه Whomever makes Laylat al-Qadr and from those who are praying on Laylat al-Qadr Allah has forgiven your sins that were previous. Look at, this is what I meant earlier by the mercy of Allah Azza wa Jalla. Here is multiplied. It is more than it normally is. 
This is from the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's basically designated one whole month and he's telling you, I've made it so easy for you to come back to me. What's holding you back? Basically, 11 months of ghafla and heedlessness and negligence and sin and sin and sin and he has given you one whole month, 30 days and he's made it so easy for you to better yourself in this month. Humiliated is the one that finds Ramadan, that enters Ramadan, and he's not from those who have been forgiven. And he's made, Allah has made it this much easier for you. Humiliated is the one who enters Ramadan and exits Ramadan, and he remains or she remains on what they were on previous to Ramadan. Wallahi. As it came in the hadith, the Prophet ﷺ was on the minbar. And he said, Ameen three times. Prophet ﷺ says, Ameen three times on the minbar. So the companion said, okay, what was the reason, what caused you to say, Ameen, Ameen, Ameen. He said, Jibreel came to me. The Prophet mentioned, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Jibreel came to me, Alayhi Salam, and he made three supplications. From them, Raghima anfum ri'im. Three supplications that are heavy. And Jibreel says to Prophet may the one be humiliated in another way or another understanding. May the one be dragged by his face and nose on the day of judgment. The one who enters Ramadan and he's not from those who have been forgiven. This is from the wa'id, the great punishments and warnings of the Prophet ﷺ. Why? Because Allah has made it this much easier and accessible for you to worship Him and to better your ways. And you still are persistent on your arrogance, persistent on your ma'asi, sins and shortcoming and lifestyle. So you are from those who fall into this hadith of being humiliated on that day that you have came across 1, 2, 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 Ramadan. And you are from, from those who exited without being forgiven. May Allah protect us from this. May Allah protect us from this. You had a question? Huh? Jibreel came and asked, came and made the supplication. May the one who be humiliated who enters Ramadan and is not forgiven. May the one be humiliated the one who witnesses his parents and they're not forgiven. Meaning, you witness your parents and you don't obey them and they leave the dunya without you having the chance to perform excellence and righteousness towards them. May the one who be humiliated where my name, may the Prophet's name وسلم, is mentioned in his gathering and he does not send the salutations upon me. Three things that Jibreel supplicated for to show you how valuable these three things are. Look, Allah has put Ramadan in the same category as Birr al-Walidayn. What is greater than Birr al-Walidayn after worshipping Allah? After worshipping Allah and coming with His rights, there's nothing greater than obeying your parents. There's nothing greater than obeying your parents. Every time Allah mentions His oneness in the Qur'an and singling Him out and worshipping the Qur'an, He mentions in the same siyaq, in the same context, and perform excellence to your parents. So in that same category, 
of worship, Allah has put Ramadan. Allah has put Ramadan. So these are just to shed light on the verse of Ramadan. Now what are some ways, and it will be a couple of minutes inshallah ta'ala, that we prepare for Ramadan. The first of these ways, ta'ala, is first and foremost understanding the wisdom behind the legislation of Ramadan. Understanding the wisdom of why Ramadan was legislated. Right? So why did Allah legislate Ramadan in the first place? Why did Allah Azza wa say, Kutiba alaykum al-siyam al-shahra why did Allah say this? Prescribed to you the Ramadan. Remember, when this is the month, this month, then he must he's, obli- he's obligated to fast. Why? What is the reason why? Today, or in our Western societies, what we are taught growing up, and this is not wrong. This is from the wisdoms of Siyah, but it is not the wisdom. It is not the purpose. It is from them, but it is not the purpose. They'll tell you, oh well, even when the, the people come and they ask you, why do you fast for a month? You know, from from the morning to and to the sun uh, sunsets, you're fasting. Why? What's the purpose? Some people say, "Oh, Akhi, we want to feel the pain of the hungry ones." This is from the wisdoms. Yes, from the wisdoms is what you feel. What? How people who are not fortunate enough, you feel what they go through. But this is not why. This is not the main reason it was prescribed. The main reason why it's prescribed is لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا كُتِبَ عَلَيْكُمُ الصِّيَامِ كَمَا كُتِبَ عَلَى الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ Oh, you believe fasting Ramadan has been, been made obligatory upon you, just like it's been obligatory on the people before you. Why? So that you may attain taqwa, piety, righteousness. And this goes back to everything we just mentioned from how easy Allah is making it for us. Ramadan is meant for you to better yourself. The taqwa that we're told to attain in our lifespan, Allah is telling you, I've made Ramadan a month for you to fast and do these X amount of worships in so that it is easy for you to attain. To attain what? Taqwa. Does that make sense? And the things that we just mentioned right now show you how, mu- um, how much easier it is in the month of Ramadan to better your tendencies, to better your habits, to remove the bad ones. That is the point of Ramadan. What is greater than Allah prohibiting you from things that are normally halal? Allah has made haram for you to indulge in eating, drinking, and relations with your wife or your husband. These are things that have been made halal for you at all times. But Allah has made it prohibited for you for a certain amount of time during the day for 30 days. Why? To teach you self-control. To teach you discipline. To teach you how to refrain yourself from things that you normally incline to. No matter what sin you're busy with. No matter what sin you're busy with. And no matter what sin you think you're attached to right now. It is, you don't have that same attachment towards it like you do towards food. Like you do towards drinking. Like you do towards your spouse. That attachment, you cannot put a price to it. It is a necessity rather. It is a necessity. You cannot go without it. So here it's almost as if Allah is saying, if you can refrain yourself from these things that are halal for you and that are utmost necessity in your life, then you can refrain from the from the ma'asi. You can refrain from the sins. You refrain yourself from halal for 30 days. So you can refrain yourself from sin for the rest of the year. 
Does that make sense? And that's why the scholars even mention, if Allah has made prohibited the halal during this month, then how much, yani how much worse is it for you to do something that is haram during Ramadan? We know how evil it is for someone to yani, purposely eat or drink during Ramadan. It is a major sin. If you do it purposely without any reason, you eat or drink, there is expiation for you. Hatta. Yet it's a major sin, you must come with tawbah. So how about the one who falls into a major sin during Ramadan? Right? Just put it in perspective. And also to show us what? How Allah is trying to teach us self-discipline. Teach yourself how to strengthen your heart. Strengthen your desires. Get your desires acquainted with worship. Rather than being acquainted with these things like eating and drinking and sinning. Tayyip, this is from the main wisdoms of Ramadan. It's a madrasa, it's a school. Right? It is to build you over these four weeks. To build habits in these four weeks that you've been struggling to build during the rest of the year. To cut off habits during these four weeks that you've been uh, yani busy with throughout the rest of the year. This is what Ramadan is for. And we mentioned the hadith, Ya Baghi al Khayr. O caller and wonder of good, come, come forth. And the one who's seeking evil, refrain from it. These are all to show us how Allah is trying to. How Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is trying to signal to us to increase in good during this month. To increase in good during this month. And this also shows you that the importance of rectifying what is inside in your heart. Because where is taqwa found? Where is taqwa found? Hmm? In the heart. قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم التقوى ها هنا ثم أشار إلى على إلى قلبه ثلاث مرات. The Prophet عليه الصلاة والسلام says التقوى is found here and he pointed to his heart three times. التقوى ها هنا التقوى ها هنا التقوى ها هنا. So piety is truly found here. And the Prophet عليه الصلاة والسلام mentions another hadith إن الله لا ينظر إلى أجسامكم ولا صوركم ولكن ينظر إلى قلوبكم وأعمالكم. Allah does not look at your outer appearance. Allah looks at what's inside. And the Ramadan is meant for you to build and strengthen what is inside, to build your heart. To build your heart, to strengthen your heart. This whole class, this book that we went over the past couple of months, it was meant to talk about how we can purify the souls and cleanse the hearts. Right? So these habits that we mentioned in that class, we should have, we should have already been indulging in them. And right now, with less than 30 days away from Ramadan, we should be really making it very practical in our lives. The things that we went over, the tips that we went over, the steps of purification that we went over, really finding a way to acquaint ourselves with step one, two, three, and the likes. Doing it now. We just mentioned the people, the people of the past used to prepare six months before Ramadan. Unfortunately, in this day and age, we don't talk about Ramadan until 30 days before. Some places don't even talk about it until the week before. We don't talk about Ramadan and how to prepare until the week before. These people are preparing six months before. They're getting up in the middle of the night, getting ready. They're fasting the recommended fast. They're reading the Quran and finishing it five, six, seven, ten times a month. They're indulging in charity. They're feeding the poor. They're doing all of this during the year. So that when Ramadan comes, they are pushing it to the limit. They're doing absolutely, yani they, they are really exhausting themselves during Ramadan. That's what you're supposed to be doing in Ramadan, exhausting yourself. 
You should have been getting used to, you should be getting used to good before Ramadan. In ibadah, before Ramadan, so that when Ramadan comes, you excel. You do more than you did before. But today, we begin stopping sin and doing ibadah when Ramadan enters. And by the time Ramadan ends, we just started. We just started getting acquainted with habits and leaving off other habits. The point is to do it before Ramadan. Ramadan is not meant for you to begin. Ramadan is meant for you to excel more than you're doing before. Does that make sense? This is the point of Ramadan. So, so understanding the wisdom of Ramadan is for you to attain piety and righteousness. This is the main reason why Ramadan was legislated. It shows the importance of preparing for Ramadan. Piety is a heavy thing. Righteousness is a heavy thing. If it is found on the scales of good, you are accepted in the eyes of Allah. And knowing the virtue that comes with piety only tells us and shows us how hard it is to attain it. How hard it is to attain it. It's so hard that Allah has to have legislated a Ramadan one whole month and make it so much more easier and accessible for us. That's how hard it is. That's how hard taqwa is. He had to refrain things that are normally halal for you so that you are able to get closer to taqwa. Does that mean, do you see how difficult taqwa is? But at the same time, look how easy Allah, how easy Allah is making it for you. Allah says in the Quran, يُرِيدُ اللَّهُ بِكُمُ الْيُسْرَ وَلَا يُرِيدُ بِكُمُ الْعُسْرَ Allah, even with everything that may seem difficult in Ramadan, it may seem like a hardship, Allah says, Allah wills and wants good for you, and wants ease for you, and He does not want hardship for you. So Allah is making it easy for you to be from those who are admitted into His mercy, who are admitted into His pleasure, who are admitted into His paradise. May Allah make us from them. Amen. So number one is understanding why Ramadan was legislated. And Ramadan was legislated to attain taqwa. Right? To attain taqwa. And one can come with ibadah. The outward and external forms of ibadah as much as they want. But if this is not sound, it's not going to be accepted. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the hajj, in Surah Al-Hajj, Allah tells him the hajj, the fifth pillar of Islam, and it's a great ibadah to do. From the rituals of hajj is that you sacrifice what? Sheep, cow, that you sacrifice at the end of, after the Eid. Sahih? This is from the rituals of hajj. So Allah mentions in the Quran, He says, Allah says, I don't seek it. I'm not looking for what you have sacrificed. Allah is talking about the people who are doing the hajj. Or indulging in the Eid Udhiyah and the slaughtering of Al Eid. Allah says, I'm not looking for what you've slaughtered. And look how some people, subhanAllah, they're slaughtering much. They're giving it out. They're giving it out to the poor, to the needy, feeding their family, feeding the community. Allah says, I'm not looking for this. This is not what is intended here. <laughs> Right? What Allah is seeking, Allah is seeking the taqwa. The people who have the taqwa, the people who have came with the taqwa. Even if they were not from the people who had the ability to sacrifice on that day. Even if you weren't from the people who had the ability to fast. Some people fast and pray and read, but they don't have taqwa. And Allah only accepts from what? From the people of taqwa. From the people of taqwa. This is what Allah is seeking. This is what, Allah, what the Prophet means when he says, Allah looks at the state of your heart. 
Allah looks at the state of your heart. A, has it attained righteousness and piety yet? This is what Allah looks for. Even if you came with small actions, minimal actions. So the first way of preparing for Ramadan is understanding the wisdom of Ramadan. And that is to attain, to attain taqwa. To attain taqwa. The second of these, and perhaps it should have been the first, and we'll go over two more after. The second of these steps and ways to preparing for Ramadan is acquainting yourself with the legislator of Ramadan. So one was acquainting yourself with what is Ramadan, talking about why it was legislated, attaining taqwa. The second is acquainting yourself with the legislator of Ramadan. Acquainting yourself with the one who has prescribed Ramadan upon us. Acquainting yourself with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what is the best way to acquaint yourself with Allah? By doing what? The Quran. The Quran. So that is the point. The second way of preparing for Ramadan is getting, taking the means to improve your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Getting to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What is intended by this step? Getting acquainted with the Quran. This is your key to Allah azza wa in this dunya. Is this Quran. It was narrated by Anas and the students of Anas that came after him. That when Sha'ban came in, when the people entered the month of Sha'ban, and the people entered the month of Sha'ban, not even Ramadan, we're talking about Sha'ban. When people entered Sha'ban, the month before Ramadan, they rushed to the Mus'haf, they rushed to the Quran. In another way, they would lock their doors and stay in their mihrab, stay in their designated corner in their house that they have dedicated for soul worship, and they would incline towards the Qur'an. Yes. That's all they would do. The Qur'an. And they would finish the Qur'an, and increase with the Qur'an, and really busy themselves in this month to have a strong attachment to the Qur'an, so that when Ramadan comes, they're already attached to it. Many of us await Ramadan, and wait for Ramadan so that we could begin getting attached to the Qur'an. You know how heavy this speech is? Do you know how long it takes to have a heart that is tranquil with these words? This speech is heavy. It takes a while to enter a heart. Let alone a heart that's been busy with things that is contradictory to the Quran. It takes a long time for a heart to become pleased with the Quran. And in love with the Quran. And seeking the Quran. And craving the Quran. And suffice with the Quran. It takes a long time. It took the purest of people, وسلم, it took his heart and his chest being split open twice to prepare him for the speech. One when he was a kid. Once when he first began, revelation started to come down upon him. It took him two times his chest being split open. And he was already secluded from any type of influence that could be contradicted to the Quran. This speech was so heavy that this had to happen to him. This speech was so heavy that it was mentioned that when revelation used to come down on the Prophet ﷺ, he was asked, what happens to you when you encounter revelation? He mentioned the description of a bell when you ring it, a heavy bell. When you ring it and you grab it, that vibration translates to you. It transitions to you. You get affected by, by that vibration. He says this is the state of his body when the Quran comes down upon him from Jibreel. It was so heavy that he was in a state where the, when the Quran first came down upon him وسلم, that he was brought in by Jibreel in a way that he almost fainted. 
and he came down in his original form, a great form, a magnificent form, these angels. So that he can be acquainted and the speech of Allah begins to be revealed upon him. This is how heavy this Quran is. A Quran where Allah describes in the Quran and says, if it was to be revealed upon a mountain, what will happen to the mountain? It will tremble. It will tremble, tremble to the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is how heavy this Quran is. So you think, neglecting the Quran and being heedless of the Quran and what the Quran tells us from lessons and mawa'id and reminders and heart softeners. Most importantly, from what the Quran tells us about who is Allah. This is heavy stuff, heavy speech. You think leaving it off for 11 months and beginning your journey when Ramadan enters, where you are fresh off of sin, fresh off of heedlessness, fresh off of being someone who is negligent and living that kind of lifestyle, you think it's gonna, you're going to start being affected right then and there? You, it needs preparation. Even though I feel like even a month before Ramadan is late, it's not too late. If you spend 30 days now, 30 days, these next 30 days before Ramadan comes in, and building a relationship with the Qur'an, and the best relationship is a relationship where you understand it. Where you understand it. So perhaps reading a translation or tafsir, perhaps having a playlist where you're going over a speaker who's going over the tafsir in detail of the Qur'an. And for those who are interested, after the, uh, after the class, in a couple of minutes, there is a playlist of a very, very, very strong student of knowledge who goes over the tafsir in detail, in great detail, but not too much. It's not too elementary and it's not too advanced. It is perfect. Where he's going over the tafsir of Jazahma. Most words that we already know. And he's going over when they were revealed, what do they mean, how am I supposed to apply this? It is a beautiful thing to be to to acquaint yourself with in this month before Ramadan. So that when Ramadan enters, you are have a heart that khalas understand the Quran a bit and is levitated towards it. So now you can maximize. Now you can maximize. So the second step is acquainting yourself with your creator, which is you acquainting yourself with the Quran. And do not be heedless of the verses that talk about who is Allah. The verses that talk about who is Allah Azza wa Jalla. We're talking about His names, His attributes, His capabilities, subhanahu wa ta'ala. When He's talking about the Day of Judgment, these are the best of verses to have a heart struck and to awaken a heart that's been even hatta temporarily dead and tainted and black. These are from the best verses to awaken the heart. So number two is acquainting yourself with the Qur'an. Number two is acquainting yourself with the Qur'an. Knowing Ramadan, knowing the Qur'an, and knowing your Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number three, the first thing you want to do from actual actions now is enter Ramadan upon sincere repentance. So number three is entering Ramadan upon sincere repentance, a tawbah to nusuh. Why do we mention the tawbah now? Before even Ramadan. If it's logically speaking, and we never put logic in front of the wahi, in front of the revelation, but logically speaking, I, we just mentioned how the forgiveness is multiplied in Ramadan. Why not just wait till Ramadan? What's so good about doing it beforehand? There is a secret, right? Or there's a specific residue that sins leave behind. Hey, the sins that one commits and they don't repent from them. There's many consequences that come with sin. But from the greatest consequence of sin, 
that many people are negligent of is that the sin leaves behind the consequence of not being able to worship Allah. Did everyone get that? The sin that one does not repent from leaves behind the consequence of not being able to worship Allah. You having a sin could be the reason why you're not, you're not able to complete a specific act of worship. Some may ask themselves, I've been trying so hard, man, to come to Quran classes and be consistent with the Quran and learn the Quran. I've been telling myself that for the past year and I've made no progress with the Quran. I have not been consistent. Every time I try for a day, for a week, for two weeks, I fall off and I leave it off. Perhaps it's because of a sin. And this is how the people of the past were. When they found a shortcoming with one of their ibadat, they found themselves, it was heavy for them to come with a certain act of worship, they would not blame anything else except themselves. They will remember the sin. They will recall a sin from months ago. And they'd be like, due to this sin, I was prohibited from being able to do this act of worship. Because being able to worship Allah, it is a tawfiq from Allah. It is the greatest blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He gives you the ability to worship Him. If you worship Allah, if Allah has brought you to the masjid, you do not come based on your intelligence. You do not come based on your awareness. You do not come based on the state of your heart. You came because Allah had bestowed His mercy upon you and has written you from the people to come and attend the jama'ah. Come attend the congregation or come indulge in the act of worship, whatever it may be. So when you find yourself coming short and performing an act of worship, this is due to a sin. So this is why we say, come with sincere repentance before Allah. The last thing you want is something, is a barrier between you and the worship during Ramadan. During Ramadan, you want a straight, clear way, a clear passageway to every act of worship you can possibly get your hands on. And the things that will prevent that is your sins. Does that make sense? The things that will prevent that is your sins. So why wait till Ramadan and risk being, having the ability to maximize your worship? Repent now. At tawbah now. Repentance now. Before Ramadan, who's guaranteed tomorrow? We're talking about tawbah before the sake of something 30 days away. Who's guaranteed tomorrow? Nobody's guaranteed the next day. No one's guaranteed waking up if they go to sleep. No one's guaranteed making it to the evening if they wake up and go through the... No one's guaranteed that. So this is why tawbah is from the greatest things to, to indulge and to prepare yourself for Ramadan. Repentance. So let's say you are in a state of repentance before Ramadan. And Allah takes your life before Ramadan. But the state that you were in was a state of tawbah. And perhaps even your intention was to prepare for Ramadan. Imagine leaving to Allah in that state. You are in a state of repentance. You left being free from that sin that you repented from. First. Two, you left with the intention of preparing for Ramadan. The scholars say that just this intention itself could give you the reward of Ramadan. If you were not able to make the next Ramadan. This is the importance of a tawbah. One of the, one of the salaf, one of the uh, scholars, Sufyan al-Thawri, rahimahullah ta'ala, and these scholars were known for the night prayer. There's not a scholar that we will name right now, except that he will, you will find his biography somewhere that he prayed the night prayer. And didn't just pray the night prayer, he prayed the night prayer. 
meaning hours, two, three, four hours, getting two, three hours of sleep a night, spending majority of his night in ibadah and worship and praying the night standing and not like it's a task because they love it, because they love standing knowing that their Lord is in front of them and reciting his speech in front of their Lord. They crave this. So all these a'imma, these imams are known for the night prayer. So Sufyan al-Thawri was someone known for the night prayer. And he came, across, he came across months of not being able to get up for the night prayer anymore. So he was confused at first. And then he brought the blame back to himself. It wasn't because he wasn't getting enough sleep. It wasn't because of something he was doing the night before. He had a full stomach. He had a heavy stomach before he went to sleep. None of that. What prevented him from getting in for the night prayer? He said, I remember I walked into the masjid and I saw a brother crying in his salah. I saw a brother crying in his salah. And I assumed that he was crying to show off for the people. I assumed he was crying to show off for the people. He didn't even vocalize this feeling. He didn't even mention and go backbite to others and speak about this person behind his back. He merely had this thought in his heart. He had an ill assumption of a brother in his heart. And he recalled this sin and he attached this sin to him having a barrier between himself and the night prayer. This is an example of your sin being a barrier between you and your ibadah. And especially in Ramadan, when the ibadat are multiplied, when the reward is maximized, the last thing you want is a barrier between you and the ibadah. And not just a, a barrier between you and the worship, but a barrier between you and tasting the sweetness of the worship. The sin is what's going to prohibit that. If there's a sin busy in your heart that you find some sort of attachment to, understand it's going to be very hard for you to find sweetness in worshiping Allah. Because there's only one heart. And you can't have two things that are contradictory in that heart. If that heart is craving something that is prohibited, that is displeasing to Allah, it's very hard you're going to find a craving. I'm not saying doing. There's a difference between doing the ibadah, doing the worship, and craving it, and tasting its sweetness, and yearning for this ibadah. There's a difference between the two. So if you're craving something that you know was wrong, upon us is to repent now from it. I see, I see him, don't worry. I got you. Zakallah khair. I got you. Upon us is to repent now from, the, from that sin. So it could be a means for us to disregard the sin, to disattach from the sin, and to inshallah ta'ala fill our hearts with craving something else like worship. With craving something else like worship. And the, this is important, and the conditions for repentance are four. Three and four is, you could put like an asterisk by it. What does the asterisk usually mean when you, it's like, Check the footnotes. So there's three main uh, conditions of repentance that apply for everyone. And the fourth one is what? Check the footnotes. Okay? The first condition is regretting the sin. Every, this is tawbah. Someone committed a sin, someone committed a major sin, you must come with these three conditions. To fall in the people who have been, who came with a valid tawbah, a valid repentance. The first of these conditions is regretting the sin. Regretting the sin. Regretting the sin means you hate it in your heart. You dislike speaking about it. 
You don't boast to others about it. Right? You don't go, man, back in the day, I was doing this, that, and third. And I was known for this, man. And, you know, I was a guy back. No. This is, even if you say, yeah, man, I regret it. This shows that you don't regret it. The people used to be shy. Be shy. Of being in front of their Lord, knowing what they've done in the past. How about just let them mention it to others? This nullifies your intent of regretting. So regretting the sin first and foremost. Regretting ever indulging in the sin. Wait. Number two is cutting off the sin completely. Number two is cutting off the sin completely. And cutting off the avenues to sin. One can be, okay, I repented from the tawbah. And he's still indulging in the sin. He's saying, Astaghfirullah. And he got the music in his ears saying, Astaghfirullah. And he got the music in his ears. No, this is, Wallahi, it's not funny. Wallahi, be honest, it's not funny. Wallahi, it's not funny. This is al-waqi'ah. This is what happens. Just out of ignorance. People are not doing it purposely. But they'll be listening to music. And a brother will tell them, Akhi, man, the music, chill out. They'll be like, oh yeah, man, Astaghfirullah. Astaghfirullah. They will see the opposite gender and they will look and they'll go talk and they'll go do whatever and then they'll walk and Astaghfirullah, man, Astaghfirullah. It's serious, this is how it is, Wallahi. So leaving off the sin, you, you come with repentance from a sin, leave it off. You leave it off. That's the second condition. The third condition is you intend not to go back. You intend not to go back. You can regret the sin. You can stop doing the sin for the time being, but you know next week you're about to go back. It's already in your plans. Me and the boys, me and the girls, we're about to go. But I'm going to repent now just in case something happens. But I know next Saturday I'm doing it. If you already have the intention of re, uh, the sin being reoccurring in your life, خلاص. this nullifies the tawbah. Nullifies the tawbah. So the first one is regret. Second one is cutting off the sin. The third condition, the third condition, Intending not to go back to the sin. The fourth condition has to do with if your sin involved oppressing somebody else. If you took away someone's rights, go give it back to them. If your sin had to do with oppressing a brother, oppressing a sister, oppressing someone, go give them their rights. Whatever it may be. Wealth, property, your own tongue, go give the rights back. Go give the rights back. So these are the four conditions of sin. For the sake of time, Hold the question to the end. So you had a question, you had a question, you had a question, just hold it. And ask after, inshallah. So at tawbah, entering Ramadan, with preparing yourself with tawbah from the best ways of preparing for Ramadan. Coming with the tawbah is the best ways. And truly, sincerely leaving off the sin, look how much you maximize in your Ramadan more than any other Ramadan. Try it. Try it in the night time. So that is the third. And the fourth, in the is a dua. A lot of these sound familiar. Right? A lot of these sound familiar. A dua. Supplication. Supplicating to Allah like we just mentioned. The Salaf used to supplicate to Allah six months before Ramadan so that they are able to reach Ramadan. So supplicating in a sense where you ask Allah to allow you to give life. Do you be allowed to give to be given life to reach Ramadan? Not just that, but for Allah to give you the tawfiq and the ability to worship Him and maximize your worship on Ramadan. All this is in the hands of whom? You worshiping Allah is in the hands of whom? You fasting Ramadan is in the hands of whom? 
You praying Qiyam al is in the hands of who? You being able to read the Qur'an and complete it multiple times is in the hands of Allah Azza So of course it is upon us and incumbent upon us to come with sincere supplication and dua that Allah gives us the tawfiq to maximize in this month. To reach the month and to maximize in this month. And from the things that show us the, the tie, the tie and the connection between Ramadan and the importance of dua is the famous ayah in Surah Al-Baqarah. Allah says in the Quran, and if my service ask you, Muhammad, about me, tell them I am near. He didn't say tell me, I lied upon the Quran. I am near. If my servants ask you about me, I am near. I answer the call of the supplicator when he calls. Who knows the ayah before it? Where's the Hafaz? Hafiz. What's the ayah before? وَإِذَا سَأَلَكَ عِبَادِي Picture شَهْرُ رَمَضَانِ Come on, so Hafiz. شَهْرُ رَمَضَانِ That page, the whole page, Allah is talking about Ramadan. يَا يُرَدِينَ أَمَرُ كُتِبَ عَلَيْكُمُ الصِّيَامِ أَيَّامًا مَعْدُودَاتِ شَهْرُ رَمَضَانِ الَّذِي أُنزِلِ فِي الْقُرْآنِ وَإِذَا سَأَلَكَ عِبَادِي so Allah is talking about Ramadan and He ends the siyaq of Ramadan. It doesn't even end. The next page Allah talks about Ramadan again. So Allah is talking about Ramadan. In the middle of talking about Ramadan, He says what? And if my servants ask you about me, I am near. Allah is giving, motivating you to come with dua. Showing you what? Dua is important. And is a direct tie to Ramadan. This month that Allah is telling you is a blessed month. The month of the Quran. The month of the Quran was revealed. All this virtue silence this month. Do not forget to supplicate to me. You're going to need it. Because all this good that you think you can attain, you can only attain it if I give it to you. So this is the importance of dua. Busy yourself with dua now. If you weren't doing it before, now. Asking Allah to give you the tawfiq for Ramadan. To allow you to reach Ramadan. To allow you to worship Allah in Ramadan. To allow you to maximize the Ramadan. To allow you to leave off the tendencies and the habits that you had before Ramadan so that you can enter Ramadan on a clean slate, bidnillah. All of this one must come with the dua. This is the fourth of the steps of preparing for Ramadan. And the last one I'll mention, and this is a very summarized version. Tayyip, this is a very summarized version. Inshallah, next week the Mashaykh will touch on it. Inshallah, Ta'ala, our beloved teacher, Imam Muhammad Noor, one of a, a teacher of ours, Mashallah, is a very beautiful individual. You guys will benefit from him a lot. He will touch upon it. Our Asatid and our teachers, the final, final week of Ramadan, they're going to be touching upon this. Better than I ever could. The fifth of these steps in the last one we'll be discussing is Al Inshiralu wa Iqbalu al Ibadati wa Ta'ati Qabla Dukhuri Shah Ramadan. The fifth of these is busying yourself. Now we are talking about the worship. Hence, I didn't mention fasting Sha'ban. We didn't want you to hate and try to fast as much of this month as they can, or read so this or read this Qiyam al this many times, or give this much charity. I didn't mention any of that yet. Everything had to do with preparing this. And getting this acquainted with your Lord. If this is sound, everything else is sound. If this is sound, your body and your ibadah and your worship will be sound. If this is not sound, it's corrupt, it's still tainted, you will see it on your actions. You won't be able to maximize in your worship. So everything has to do with you and your Lord. In the heart, get acquainted with Allah. Now, the fifth of these and the final one that I'm mentioning is busying yourself creating a schedule and ways to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
creating a schedule and ways to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For everyone is different. One's level is different than the next. Everyone knows what is best for them in the moment. Everyone knows where they personally come short in worshiping Allah. Everyone knows where they excel, where they believe they excel. For some person, for some people, they may have a difficulty getting up for Fajr. They may have a difficulty getting up for Fajr. You think it's okay for the, you think it's correct for this person or suitable for this person to start thinking about how he should pray the night prayer? If he's already having problem getting up for Fajr, you think he should start talk, writing plans about how to pray Qiyam al No. Let's talk about how to get ready for Fajr. So that Fajr becomes part of your schedule and you enter Ramadan with no problems getting up for Fajr. Let's say some people have problem, for example, listening to music. Before we talk about ibadat and what I should be doing, let's try to cut out the, the music. Now we're talking about the actions and building actual physical, physical tendencies and habits. So for everyone is different. And from the things that showed us the importance of building these habits is what we mentioned earlier. The Prophet ﷺ fasted this entire month or this month except for a handful of days. Preparation for Ramadan. The Anas ibn Malik, what we just mentioned as well, that the people used to lock their doors, hide themselves with their rooms, and just seclude with the Mus'haf, seclude with the Qur'an. So what are some of the ibadat that are practical, I should start to busy myself with? One, practical. Practical ibadat that I feel like we all need, inshallah. Number one, praying in the masjid more. Praying my salawat, my five obligatory prayers in the masjid as much as I can. Maybe most people drive or they have access to the masjid, they have access to get into the masjid. Now start going and praying in the masjid as much as you can. Do not be from those who are acquainted with the masjid only in Ramadan. Do not be from those who only attend the masjid daily in Ramadan. Yani, how much about loss is somebody who comes to the masjid just for taraweeh, but you will not see them coming to the masjid for Fajr Isha? What's more valuable? Praying my taraweeh in the masjid or praying Fajr in the masjid? Which one's more valuable? Fajr. Fajr. So if I'm not coming with the bare minimum, the obligatory, how about, how about the recommended acts? The loser or the one who is deceived, Afwan, the one who is deceived is the one who excels in the recommended ibadat, in the recommended acts of worship, and they're coming short in the obligations. This person is deceived. Right? So one, what is a practical step? Busying yourself with, busying yourself with trying to come to the masjid more, A for the prayer. At least come for Fajr. Try to come for Fajr in the masjid. It's very beautiful. Getting up, forcing yourself to get out of bed 5, 5.15, 5.30, make it to the masjid, pray in jama'ah, listen to the Qur'an, ending your day by praying Isha in the masjid. If you can't do all five, bare minimum Fajr Isha. Bare minimum one of them. Whatever is feasible for you. Just whatever you think you were doing with the masjid before, do more of it this month. Increase now, build the habit now. Praying your salawat in the, in the masjid. Two, more Qur'an time. More time with the Qur'an. Some people had no relationship with the Qur'an before this month. Some people had somewhat of a relationship. Whatever the case may be, increase in this month. Increase in this month. And everyone knows what they are in need of or what is suitable for them. More Qur'an time. Three, if you're praying your five prayers, start to pray the sunan. Try to pray the arawatim, the two raka'at before fajr. The, two units, the four units of prayer before Lord and the two after Lord. 
the two before Maghrib, or the two after Maghrib, the two after Isha, the winter, try to pray your rawatib. Make it a part of your schedule. These rawatib are heavy on the scale. The Prophet mentions the one who preserves these rawatib, these 12 raka'at, in the hadith of Abu Huraira, the one who preserves these 12 raka'at, there's a house in Jannah, a palace in Jannah prepared for them. And this is, this is for the one who comes with these 12 raka'at as sunnah. How about the one who praises Fajr and Isha? Imagine the status of the person, what you have prepared for you on that day. Allah is telling you you have a palace for praying sunnah. Things you will not be held accounted for if you leave it off. How about the one who comes with the wajibat, the obligatory salawat? So finding, acquainting yourself with the sunnah. Obviously you can't pray all of them in one day if you weren't praying them before. Start slow. Start with one salah, maybe the duhr. Pray the four before the duhr. The two after, maybe after Isha, after you pray your Isha, tell myself, okay, I'm going to pray the two raka'at after, after Isha or the four raka'at after Isha, no matter what. I won't leave my place until I pray my sunnah. Okay? So the rawatib. Number four, increase in fasting. And for the sake, first and foremost, of following your messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa This is something he used to do. And his companions did after him. Increase in fasting. Prepare yourself for fasting now. The virtue of fasting in this month is great. The virtue of fasting in this month is great. And kafa bifadli, what is sufficient to understand its value is that the Prophet did it. If I did not mention any other virtue other than the Prophet did it, and it's something he indulged in every year, this is enough. So suffice yourself with that. Fasting in this month. If you weren't fasting at all before, try to fast once a week, Mondays and Thursdays, until Ramadan comes. Get yourself acquainted with fasting. Right? And not just from an external perspective. From an internal perspective as well. Fasting is not just siyam min al-ta'ami wa sharab. It's not just refraining from eating and drinking. It's refraining from vain speech. It's refraining from lying, from backbiting. All these things. Try to pre- this is from the wisdoms of fasting. Don't just pre- prevent yourself from these external things. It's prevent yourself from what the, the the diseases and the illnesses that we are normally acquainted with. This is what the fasting does. Prepare yourself mentally and physically by fasting. So come with the fasting. And the last one I would mention, and if anyone else has a, you know, any other advice, mention it, inshallah. The last one I will mention is having a portion of the night prayer. Have a portion of the night prayer. Even if it means before I go to sleep, I'm going to pray two rak'at. That's night prayer. That's qiyam al-layl, by the way. You pray isha, it's 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, and you're about to go to bed. You tell yourself, okay, I'll pray two rak'at before I go to sleep. Because I feel like I'll barely make fajr. That's fine, that's qiyam al-layl. Even if it means getting up 15 minutes before fajr adhan, that's qiyam al-layl, praying two rak'at. Even if it means getting up 5-10 minutes before fajr, and just praying that one rak'at of witr, or that three rak'at of witr. That's qiyam al-layl. You have been written from those who woke up and prayed in the night. You have been from those who have been written to be from the night, the people who attended the night prayer that day. You have been for, you have been written from those if you come if you wake up before fajr, if you wake up before fajr by minutes, and you catch a rakah or two or three, you have been from those who were awake and supplicated and read Quran and bowed and prostrated at a time where your Lord has came down to the final heaven, and is asking who is awake at this time seeking my forgiveness so I forgive them, who is awake at this time bringing their needs to me so I can grant it to them. That's from the virtues of the last third of the night. That your Lord descends in a way that befits His majesty every night, subhanahu wa ta'ala, and is asking who is awake at this time so I can forgive them. Who is awake at this time so I can give them what they're asking for. 
So this is from the virtues of the night prayer. And you're going to be praying the night prayer in Ramadan. Acquaint yourself with the night prayer now, so that you enter Ramadan, it's already a habit. And you leave Ramadan, and it's hard for you to leave it off. That's the point. Practice your fasting now, so that's easy when you enter Ramadan, and you are so acquainted with the fasting, it stays as a habit for you post-Ramadan. Pray your sunnah and rawatib now, your 12 rak'at of sunnah now, so when Ramadan comes, it's easy for you, it's second-hand nature, so that when Ramadan leaves, it is something you cannot leave. Have a portion of the Qur'an now, a page a day, half a page a day, a quarter page a day, a line a day, so that it increases when Ramadan comes. And when Ramadan leaves, you find yourself in love with the Qur'an. And you cannot go a day, you cannot attribute success to your day, except that the Qur'an is a part of it. This is the point. The point is not just to prepare for Ramadan. The point is for me to prepare myself so that I can maximize the Ramadan, so that I can leave Ramadan better than how I entered. This is the point of Ramadan. This is what it means so that you may attain piety. So you can better yourself. These are just brief, brief ibadat and brief advices from our scholars and from our teachers for thousands, for a thousand year plus that have mentioned these advices for as long as we can recall. This is legislation being preserved. So we ask Allah to make us from those who follow these footsteps and to maximize and preparing for Ramadan and to make it from those who witnessed Ramadan and are able to maximize the Ramadan and are accepted and are accepted in Ramadan and accepted into the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the last thing I, did, uh, I wanted to mention also in the, in the fifth category is increasing in dhikr subhanallah alhamdulillah la ilaha illa Allah increasing in dhikr keeping your tongue moist with dhikr why? Because it came in a hadith. A companion came to the Prophet and mentioned, who are the best of people who fast? Who are the best people? Every, all the Muslims fast. There's no doubt about that. But who from them are the best? The best people who fast. The best people who indulge in the ibadah of fasting. Who are the best of them? Those who remember Allah abundantly. And this is a qa'ir, this is a principle. The best people at any act of worship are those who are most frequently remembering Allah. The best people at Hajj are the ones who remember Allah the most during Hajj. The best people in Umrah are those who remember Allah frequently and the most during Umrah. The best people in the Salah are those who remember Allah as much as they can in the Salah. The best people when it comes to fasting are those who remember Allah the most and abundantly when they are fasting. This is why the Hadith says those who are the best who fast are those who remember Allah abundantly and most frequently. So making a part of your daily wirt, your daily uh, habit is remembering Allah Azza wa Jalla. Remembering Allah Azza wa Jalla. I encourage myself and everyone else to learn the morning adhkar. There's morning supplications that everyone should do every morning between Fajr and Shuruq. There's supplications you should be making every evening between Asr and Maghrib. There's supplications and adhkar you should be making every night before you sleep. There are supplications you should be making, adhkar you should be making after every one of the five mandated salat. So if one is not acquainted with them, find out about them and learn them. This, wallahi, this is from the greatest ones that I mentioned. Is the dhikr. It's the greatest ones I mentioned out of, out of what we just mentioned today. If you want assistance with it, or help with it, or you want to know what are these adhkar I should be busy myself with, come ask me. Or come ask Akhul Nu'ma. The morning adhkar, the evening adhkar, 
the adhkar before you sleep, the salawat, the adhkar after the salawat. These are what we should be busying ourselves with. And from the greatest things to prepare for Ramadan mentally and physically. We ask Allah to accept from us. Allahumma a'limna ma yanfa'na wa anfa'na bima a'limtana wa zinna ilman. Allahumma habib ilayna al-iman wa zayyanhu fi qulubina wa kirrihi ilayna al-kufra wa al-fusuqa wa al-isyan. Allahumma a'ati nufusana taqwaaha wa zakkiha. Anta khayru min zakkaha. Anta waliyuha wa mawlaaha. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa barik ala nabina Muhammadin al-Nadheer al-Bashir. في كل وقت وحيد وصلي وسلم عليه صلى الله عليه وسلم في الملأ الأعلى إلى يوم الدين اللهم صلي وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد هذا والله أعلى وجل وأعلم سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك نشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك جزاكم الله خيرا إن شاء الله Everyone go upstairs and try to Oh, those brothers have questions, okay? If you don't, you don't need to stay for the questions. If brothers have questions, them. The food is upstairs, them. Go upstairs to start eating, inshallah. Those brothers who had questions, though, off top. What about sending salawat upon It's from the best of things to do. It falls under the kitchen. Right now we just said dhikr from the adhkar, from the best of adhkar is sending the salawat upon the Prophet So also it is a great thing to indulge in inshallah ta'ala. Now. So the question is, when we talk about tawbah, from the conditions of tawbah is if you oppress someone, you give them the rights back. What if that right was you or that action was you indulging in backbiting the brother or the sister? You spoke about them behind their back or you slandered them behind their back. How do you give the right back? Whether it's anything that has to do with your tongue. You said something behind their back. You lied upon, upon their name behind their back. You said something to their face. Hatta. The best way is for you to go to the person themselves. It requires some strength. So, I mean, go to the person themselves and let them, hey, as in the past I spoke about you in an ill way, in an ill manner. It was not befitting. I ask that you forgive me and pardon me. It's hard. That's hard, of course, you know. Some scholars even mentioned that what will suffice is if the same gathering that you backbit the person in, or you slander the person in, in that same gathering, speak well of that person, speak highly of that person, right? But of course, the best thing, the safest thing that will truly follow that condition is you going to that person directly. Just like if you stole from that person, you're gonna go to them, right? You're gonna go to them and give them the money back. Same thing. The best thing is you go to them and let them know, and notify them, and uh, ask for their forgiveness. I mean, yeah. You have a connecting question. So connecting to that question, if that person that you back but you spoke ill of passed away, they're not present. Your question is, do you fall into the hadith of the bankrupt one of the day of judgment? What's the I think the proper question is, how do you repay this person back? How do you repay this person back? What are you doing? You don't know? You're paying back for what? 
Ten dollars? Fifteen? The question is, the proper question is, if someone that I back with or spoke ill of passed away, how do I repay their rent? How do I repay their rent? Uh, inshallah, this is a, a fiqh question. Uh, it requires us to go to people who are versed in this subject, inshallah. What I've heard from the fuqaha, Shaykh al-Shanqiti, he mentions that, of course, you repent to Allah Azza wa Jalla. If this person has family or relatives, that you go, the ihsan that you would perform to this person, you go perform it to their, to their family, right? It doesn't have to be you directly saying, I, you know, I did this to your son or I did this to your family member, but you performing extra acts of excellence and goodness and righteousness to his family or to their family, right? This could be with the intention of returning the rights. This could be falling under this, what Shaykh Shanqiti mentions, Ahmedullah. Um, but I, I will still take this question to the people of knowledge. Uh, if you want, I can ask my teacher, inshallah. So just remind me that I'll type it up right now. But don't let me leave till I type it up. Okay. Now. You're talking about Sufyan uh, Ishtawi, how uh, because of the thought he had about that person. Yeah. So does that mean they're held accountable for your thoughts? He asked a question about the instance of Sufyan Ishtawi. Who mentioned that he was he was not able to perform the night prayer due to his ill intention or ill assumption of the brother that he saw crying. So the question was, are we held accountable for what's what goes on internally, our thoughts internally? The hadith clearly mentions that Allah subhanahu wa taala mentions and says uh, the process I mentioned and says that Allah does not hold you accountable for what's inside. You're not held accountable for what's inside from evil thoughts or evil acts. For example, you wanted to do this, or you had the evil thought of going to do that, or going to do this, or going to steal from this, or speak about this, or go to this area. If that's just a thought, and it doesn't translate into action, you're not held accountable for it. But what does this specific riwayah uh, or this narration show us? It just shows you, shows you how they were very cautious of the state of their heart. It shows you how they were cautious of the state of their heart, and how they pickpocketed every little shortcoming that they could think of. They were from the most righteous of people, but he still had the audacity to tell himself that I assumed ill of somebody. Does that make sense? So he was still found shortcoming. And he still, it was uneasy in him. Like this is how conscious these people were, right? So that doesn't show us, that narration doesn't show us that you're held accountable for what's inside, but it's just to show you how conscious these people, these people were. Okay? So I remember the question or the question? Last one, please. Just like how merciful um, Allah is making like making it easier for you in Ramadan to do good and to better yourself and get closer to Him, how dangerous is it to uh, commit a sin specifically in Ramadan compared to any other time? No, no. The scholars mention a principle, and this applies anywhere that falls into this. Whenever the virtue of a time or a day or a place is higher then the consequence of sinner of sinning and the value of the sin becomes greater in that time period too. For example, you sinning at the mall is, is not like you sitting in the masjid. Take the same sin. You lying in the mall or you stealing in the mall is not like you lying and stealing in the masjid. Because the masjid is what? It's more virtuous. So that same lie or that same thing that you stole in the mall, if you did it here, it's, held, it's, it's heavier here you're in a virtuous place same thing is the time periods right you sitting for example in Rabi'ul Awwal is not like you sitting in the last 10 nights of Ramadan 
right? Whenever the virtue of something, a place or a time increases, the sin that is done within those time periods or those places also becomes more heavier, more, yani, they weigh, they weigh heavier. Does that make sense? Pardon? Yes, as you are, you're, whenever something increases in virtue from ibadah, your ibadah becomes multiplied because of the virtue of a month or a place, then the sin then multiplies. The same amount now. The same amount now. But it's more heavier and it's more severe than you doing it outside of that place or that, that time period. Assalamu alaikum.